Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach, I thought I would do this episode on myself. I've interviewed so many people, I've listened to their stories, the hard times they've had, the good times they've had, the amazing achievements. So I decided to tell my story when I was rock bottom. I sat down with Dr. David Set, and we had a session together, but we recorded it. It was difficult telling my story, as it was a hard period of my life. But I think we all need to speak about it, as I've always been saying. So I hope you enjoy my story. So sit back and listen to this episode. This week in the Beach Shack, it's a pleasure to have David Said, who is a clinical psychologist, and he's been doing that for about 21 years. David, how are you? Oh, good, mate. Good. How are you doing, Hobbo? Yeah, mate, I'm good. I thought you've been listening to some of the podcasts and we'll get on to what you've been doing with the lifeguards a bit later on. But I thought I'd get you on because I've interviewed so many people, listen to their stories, listen to the tough times they've had in their life, and then also the good times. And I think a lot of people listening are getting a lot out of it. And I thought I'll make myself vulnerable in this episode and bring you on board. And, and the idea of that is us having a discussion about when I was rock bottom and, and how I got myself out of it, but then also getting your take on it, which then I think will help a lot of people listening. Sure, mate. Hey, um, sounds like an awesome idea, mate. I, you know, I'm always up for a, a tough, cool bloke like you getting vulnerable, mate. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> so before we start, just give a little background on on. Yeah, what you do and so the listeners can uh, understand it's basically like we're, we're going to sort of have a one-on-one session really <laughs> okay <laughs> all right i love it mate keep me guessing hey uh, um <laughs> mate it's really good to be here so i might just say we we met through a, a mutual friend of ours our sparks you've had on the program ours a close mate of mine as well as a professional colleague and and um al introduced us and then we've done some work with the lifeguards which we'll chat about later on um so mate I, i'm a clinical psychologist I've done it for, yeah, like about almost 24 years now. Um, I've got a background with the military, so I've been a serving member and a uniformed psychologist and, and deployed numerous times with the Army and, and the ADF overseas, worked in a variety of settings, um, hospitals, jails, that sort of stuff. And, and I currently work for myself in my own practice, and I, and I have two main things I do. One is I predominantly work with veterans and serving members around PTSD, depression, mental health, emotion regulation, I might say. And then the other one I do is, which is, you know, how we met is I, I run a fair bit of training with people on understanding their emotions, how they affect your performance, your quality of life, shall we say, resilience, and those sorts of things, which is a bit of a passion of mine and, and I love doing, mate. So um, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Mate, it's great having you here. All right, so let's start I'll give you the rundown and paint the picture. It was probably six years ago, really about now, six, seven years ago, and everything sort of happened at once. And I think I can relate to a lot of people who've probably been in situations where once one thing goes wrong, everything starts spiralling out of of control. And so taking it right back there, we were filming, obviously, Bondi Rescue, so I had that on my plate. I was running the lifeguard service, so that was another stress that was that was on my plate. At the same time, my management skills at that in that period were getting questioned by certain people, which happened to then end up in the media. So that was not only internal but also external through the media. From there, I owned a, a cafe as well as a secondary business. So I'm trying to run a cafe with my now ex-wife who at that time that fell apart as well and she she took off so my second marriage fell apart 
at this stage, I was pretty down. I mean, it's, a lot of things were happening. And uh, what I suppose I, I, I did from there, I really started to struggle. One, I suppose, with work. Two, I really struggled each day getting out of bed in the mornings, uh, trying to motivate myself. I mean, my marriage had pretty much ended. I had the cafe. I still had to then run because she was running the cafe. So then that fell into my lap as well. It was a period of filming the, the TV show. And I think my performance at work was probably lacking and, and that was noticeable to certain people and that became questionable. So, the, you know, what you do from there, I, I pretty much, you know, you're going out more, you start drinking a little bit more. And I found the problem there was by drinking, I was in so much pain from, from all the different things that were happening that the drink was then taking that pain away. And I think that's when you fall into a, 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 you know, a real trap. Mm-hmm. Mate, what a, and you know, I will say to your listeners, you know, we haven't planned this. You're not my actual client. This is off the cuff, mate. And I, I really want to say I respect you being so open, mate. Good on you using your platform to talk about this stuff. Um, mate, you know, straight away what comes to mind for me there is, you know, I often say to people, you got your occupational domain and then your, your personal and social domain. And, mate, you're hurting in both areas there, aren't you? You know, the... The, the strengths that uh, Bruce Hopkins has, you know, his personal life, his success, his business, his marriage, and then, you know, you, you're um, one of the most experienced or the most experienced lifeguard in Australia. You've got this public profile. You're struggling there. And then the media jump onto it as well, so none of it's private anymore, mate. Talk about a bloody cooker there, mate, a pressure pot. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to see yeah. you smiling. You made it through, obviously. Yeah, mate, it was a... It was a, a- and it all happened in, in, within a three-month period, just one thing wow. after the other. I just couldn't, I just couldn't do, you know, just kept ha- getting hammered, hammered. The marriage breakup, that also ended up in the media. Yep. So I had my personal life in the media plus my occupation in the media. Yep. Um, so people then would, I noticed, would be judging me for whatever they were reading, whether it was positive or negative or whichever way they perceived what was happening. The other thing then which I made a stupid mistake, as I said, with drinking. I tried, decided to, I parked my car at the cafe at Bondi and it was in the meter parking and then we had a few drinks after work and the most stupid decision I made was decide to try and get the car down to the car park where I could, you could leave it there as long as you wanted. And um, obviously as I'm driving down, it must be no more than five, 600 metres, I get pulled over and then I'm over the limit drink driving which was probably the worst part because that was when I really got depression. I really felt down and out. That was the last straw after everything I was dealing with. You know, I felt embarrassed. I had anger. I was feeling betrayed from everything else that was going on. Yeah, Frustrated. Wow. There was anger coming out. And, and I really noticed the anger because usually I'm a pretty quiet and, and a laid-back person, but I noticed at that time certain things – trigger points would set me off and and I'd become quite angry and, and I'd usually take that out on people that were close to me, yep. uh, you know, looking back in hindsight. And, and then obviously once I got the drink driving, then I had to go to court. When I went to court because of the profile, that's now all in the media. So I had about a, 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 a triple whammy of, uh, of media <laughs> in, a, in, a, in about a stretch of, of, of three months. I was pretty much that... Looking back now, it's probably the, the most rock bottom I've ever been in my life. Wow, mate. Talk about everything happening at once. I bet you at that point in time, you're like, holy cow, I wish I didn't have a media profile right now because <laughs> you just couldn't hide. And, and mate, you know, that you've mentioned so much there. I just want to acknowledge um, you being so upfront about using the alcohol, right, to help you cope with this stuff. You know, again, just normalizing it, you, you're hurting in your personal life, you're hurting at work, you're not feeling very good. You know, I like to call a spade a spade with alcohol, mate. You know, in this country, Australia, where I grew up, you know, it's part of our culture. I'm not encouraging people to drink or anything like that, but I'm not a teetotaler. I drink. I grew up drinking. Um, You know, if it's a birthday, what do you do? You have a drink with your mates. Um, You celebrate, have a drink with your mates. It's part of our culture. And, you know, it's legal, it's cheap, it tastes good. And, 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 you know, the active ingredient, ethanol, it actually relaxes you. So, you know, in our culture, it's pretty common. You're having a hard time. Well, I'll just have a couple of beers with my mates. Take the edge off. Life's pretty shit at the moment. 
makes sense, right? The issue with it is, and I guess it sounds like you found out the hard way, it becomes your main go-to when you're having emotional problems because it works so good and it works so quick. But it only gives you short-term relief, doesn't it? The next day, you still got all those problems waiting for you. And un- unfortunately, in your case, it added a couple by the sounds of it. That's right. And, and I found it at the time, yeah, it was great. Uh, it, it took the pain away. But the problem, as you said, it's the next day, the second day after that, you really hits you even harder than, than what it did prior. And and I see – I haven't got an addictive personality, which I'm, I'm quite grateful for because I now – can understand people with addictive personalities where they can turn to drugs, they can turn to alcohol, and and it's getting up the next day and just hitting the drink again. Mm. And, you know, I, I wasn't hitting it massively, but when I did, I would drink to excess, and that was becoming a, a, a real problem, and, and that would bring the anger out. And I had people, you know, obviously that relationship ended, so I had a period of time where I was meeting other people, and, and it really – I found that I was really aggressive, like just not physical, but just angry within myself. And I noticed that there was a lot of arguments and blame that I'd, I'd put on people. But it was really, it was really me. Now I'm looking back, it was me that was in that projection. You know, yeah, and it was something I had to try and really control. Yeah, wow, mate. And you know, again, you know, look at you. You know, Hoppo, world famous lifeguard, mate. A bloke who's done it all. And, and making yourself so vulnerable, they're talking about having these really strong feelings, you know, anger, betrayal, not being happy with yourself, you know, embarrassment, shame. You know, mate, one of the complex things growing up in our culture, again, um, you know, I had a migrant dad, um, you know, I had a good family, but, uh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of time for emotions. And, you know, I guess most men in our society, I, what, the way I look at it now in my work is you don't get any training in how to deal with this. You're having all these really strong feelings and I would say to you, well, they're part of being a human. You lost the relationship, you're stressed at work, your business is struggling, you're starting to get into a bad habit, alcohol to take the edge off, but it's not fixing it, it's created its own new problem and yet you still got all this anger and all these feelings and what do you do with them? And you're like, well, I don't fucking know what to do with them. You know, I grew up thinking they were weak. Shit, have I become weak? And then, as you said, you start to doubt yourself and downward spiral. The way I look at it is, you know, the science of it is, you know, humans as a species, you know, man or woman, we have feelings, mate. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, uh, our parents, you know, they did the best they could. They they didn't know in their generation. We now know that no matter who you are, how tough you are, how strong you are, it's just part of being a human. You have feelings and sometimes they're tough. And if you don't learn how to, I call it mastering your emotions, mastering your feelings, emotional regulation, then you go to these bad habits like alcohol and it often just makes it worse, mate. It, I can see it's it's really nice to look back on this and, and you sharing this, mate. Hopefully we can help some other young blokes having a hard time reach out early. What happened next, mate? How <laughs> Did you spiral further or? Oh, look, I, I, I spiraled uh... A bit, but I realised the, I suppose the trigger was the anger, and and I realised, you know, the next day when I got up in the morning, and it just kept going for you know probably five months, six months, where I was just trying to understand it and get through, and yeah, and I suppose like you said too was my dad was a born and bred country guy, you know, his era was yeah. Toughen up and deal with it. Don't you know, don't give. You know you, you can't be weak. You can't show weakness and all this sort of stuff. And yeah, you know, so I'm trying to think. Well, am I being weak here? Is it something, or is it just something that I'm doing wrong? Or you know, I, I sort of sat down one day and thought. I'll, I'll tell you when it, it actually hit home and, and and broke me was I went around a mum's place. And that was after it came out with the drink driving. It was I'll never forget it. I went round. It was a Sunday morning and she had the Sunday Telegraph. And she was sitting at the table when I walked in and she was in tears. And I hadn't seen what they wrote in the media or what it was about. It was on the front page, third page and middle page. So I copped Uh. a, a, a good whack and I saw what I her reaction and that was the trigger I think to go well hang on I need to um I need to fix this I've obviously 
it's starting to go a bit too yeah, far. Yeah, it's really complex, isn't it, mate? As you've experienced, you know, you got all this stuff going on. You don't know what to do with these feelings. You're feeling angry, and that's not you, you know. <laughs> so you know something's not right, and then you got your upbringing going. Well, just snap out of it, get on with stuff. So you're trying to do that, but it doesn't go away. And and then, you know, as with most men, you're like, well, I don't actually know what to do with this. I can't tell you how many times I've had people sit on my couch in my practice. You know, I had this one, this true story, without giving away any details, many years ago, big, you know, and I mainly work with the military now, this big guy burning the special forces and he sat sitting there and I go, all right, what's happening, mate? How can I help you out? He said, well, been in the army 26 years. My body's pretty broken. I can't train three to four hours a day anymore. I can't drink like I used to because I can't get up uh, the next day. Uh, So I guess I'm on the psych's couch because I need to talk about this stuff that I keep trying to get rid of with exercise and alcohol, which, you know, it's, it's actually a really common story, mate. He just didn't know what to do with it. It sounds like you were sort of in that boat there. <laughs> yeah, I was. And, and then I sort of, after that, I, I hadn't been, I mean, obviously I, I competed a lot in, in, you know, ocean paddling and, and, and surf life-saving events and over all the years. And there's a period in my life with that second marriage, I, I stopped doing that. That whole relationship looking back was obviously a mistake in the first place. So I really, but you can't see it when you're in that. And I think a lot of people listening will understand when you're in the situation, people outside can see clear, but when you're in there, you can't see clear. And it's made me realise that. And I thought, well, okay, what do I do? A good mate of mine, Tommy, go, went up to, he's from Queensland, he trains down here, we've paddled together for years, and he's in New South Wales, uh, sorry, uh, has a business in Rose Bay hiring out uh, kayaks. And he goes to Queensland every year, and I thought, you know what, the, the best part of my life and how I was you know, performing was when I was actually competing and racing. The rest of my life fell into place. So I said, well, right, what I'll do, he said, come up and, and train up in Sunshine Coast at, at uh, Malulaba. And I said, oh, I'll come up. So I think I went up for about oh, three or so weeks, took some leave, went up and just got away from Sydney, got away from everything that I was dealing with went up, started training up there, and it really got me back on track because it motivated me. We then sat down together and chatted about a lot of things, and there was a race coming up in November. This was probably about July that year, and it was a race, big race in Hong Kong in, uh, in November. And I said, all right, I'm going to commit from now, and I'm going to train for that Hong Kong race. And... Came back to Sydney and then he came back as well in, in around that September. So we continued the training up until, you know, going to do that race. Now, the, the, the funny thing was that really reset my, my mind and, yeah. and, and re-evaluated when I sat back and listened to myself and gave myself some hard talking to <laughs> well interesting I, I don't know if it was the hard talking to that sorted you out there mate I, you know when i hear you say that you know i put on my um scientist hat you know so you took some time out to get a bit of perspective you know insight what the hell's going on here what am i doing uh you know i'm trying to fix my problems with something that's become a problem alcohol so you took time out you access support a good mate that you trust that you've known for years you change your environment you got back into training, something you love, paddling, good for your body, good for you personally, you know, you're feeling a bit of pressure, doubting yourself at work, so you got back to something you're good at, it sounds like you got back into routine, you set a future-oriented goal with that race, I mean, this is all textbook, you know, our species, we do well when we've got social contact, when we're not alone, when we're striving towards something, when we've got routine, when we're doing exercise, you know, if you use, don't use muscles, they fade away. We need to uh, pump blood through our body with oxygen. Exercise stimulates that. It helps our brain. So I'm going to say, at risk of offending you, mate, you know, I don't know if it was the hard talking to. I think it was all that other good stuff you did there. Well done. Yeah, well yeah. done, mate. <laughs> well, pr- prior to going up there too, I-, I felt, you know, once things are in the media and then people, when you're walking along the street, people might be, 
Like they might look at you, but they might just, you know, when you just look at someone walking past, you don't even really have take much notice or you just happen to like look at people. But every time people did that, I felt vulnerable and like they were judging me because in my head, they knew what was going on with everything that I was going through yeah. because they happened to look and yep. it had been in the media and things like that. Yeah. But, you know, after I've been up training and doing all that, I realised, well, hang on a minute, they probably don't, one, don't give a stuff, and yeah. two, probably don't even know what I'm thinking in my head anyhow. Um, and I really sat down and, and thought about, well, what other people think doesn't really matter. It's, wow. it's what I think and how I move forward with myself. Mm. Like the past, what's all all this has happened, I, I've gone, well, I've just got to let that go. It's history. I, I can't change what has happened. I need to move forward now day to day because the other thing, well, I can't predict the future either, what's going to happen in the future. So I really analysed it all and, and people that were saying that uh, whether it's my management skills or whether it's the – the breakdown of the marriage or whatever their opinions or, you know, and I'll tell you what, it stands out pretty quick who your close mates are when things like this happen because a lot of people you think that, you know, you've helped them in, in times, but, geez, they run quick when things, you know, yeah. go wrong. Um, hmm. and, and the other thing I found was, and it must be, I don't know, it's, it's just an Australian culture, but when you're it's the tall poppy syndrome and when you're down, people just want to jam that knife in and, yeah. And, and, and hammer even more, you know, and yeah, wow. that's something that, that really hurts. But when I came back from Queensland after the paddling, I, I really had a better perspective of, of everything and, and, and let a lot of things go and just said, well, look, it doesn't matter what what happens or anything. As long as I'm a good person, I fixed myself up. And then it really then changed because not long after that, then I met Karen, which is – my, now my, my um, wife, and she came to the picture and I found that as soon as I started changing my mindset, not worrying about other people, not worrying about what they think, and, and being more positive within myself, then suddenly all these good things started yeah, wow. started coming along. It, it wasn't – but when I look back now into the negative side, once that marriage was going pear-shaped, I was in that rut, but then – Everything else then followed it or went yeah, pear-shaped. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you weren't sure what to do when you were in that rut. So you sort of became this passenger and it, things got worse. But, mate, you said a lot of good things there too that I just want to acknowledge again, which are, you know, strong in the literature. It sounds like you accepted, yeah, okay, I, I've made some mistakes. I fucked up. I mean, you know, I always say to people um, when they do that and they're really down on themselves, and obviously it's – it's uh, magnified when you're on the front page of the newspaper. Um, I'm like, yeah, okay, you fucked up. You made some mistakes. And they're like, oh, but Dave, you know, this is really bad and I'm a failure. I'm like, oh, do you know anyone who doesn't make mistakes? No. Um, if a bloke or a woman told you they were perfect and didn't make mistakes, what would you think of them? Would you trust them? No. no. So why the hell do you think you can't make them? You know, you need to nurture yourself and, and just be honest with yourself. And part of being honest and accepting was I think you accepted shit. You know what? Yeah, I'm fallible. And, <laughs> you know, I'm more than just fallible. You've got all these history of success and your time away reminded you of that, mate. So I think, you know, that's a really important thing. The other thing I think you did really well there, again, I'm just all bringing it back to the science, sort of off the cuff, mate, is that – you accepted, you know, what is in my circle of influence, you know. It, you know you, we just set ourselves up to fail if we're trying to change things we can't control. And, you know, we definitely can't control what other people think. Actually, we don't even know what they think. As you said, you know, <laughs> we'd probably be going nuts if we could read people's minds, right? So it, it's out of your control. So you shifted your head away from things you couldn't control and went, well, this is what I know, this is what I'm good at, and this is, you know, what I'm going to do. And I guess you got your confidence back and you were achieving things again, I imagine. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. the achievement really went up. I mean, the paddling got better. I started getting, performing well in races. I met Karen, which was a great asset because I explained a lot of stuff I'd been through. And yep. and funny enough, she'd been through something similar with a relation, with her previous relationship about 12 months prior. And so she understood where I was coming from and we sort of could help each other. And, and that's sort of – 
I think, helped the relationship. Even though it's a bit rocky at the beginning, normally it's, it's quite good in the first six months, but we sort of had that rocky, I suppose, trying to get the trust and, and all that back after our yeah. bad experiences in our relationships. But after we got over that hurdle, it really just gelled and and helping each other and, and, and the relationship just really blossomed into obviously now where we ended up, uh, we're now married. So it was um, something that all came along at the right time, but then I still think it's not only the right time, it was that me changing my mindset um, after sitting down thinking about where I need to go with it all and I think it it really, really helped. Yeah, mate, I have no doubt. You know, you're not very attractive to people when you're cranky and angry, are you? It's pretty hard to meet someone. <laughs> you know, anger, you know, essentially is there to protect us in the evolutionary sense. You know, it's pushing out. It's saying or doing things physically. So it keeps people away. That's its actual purpose, or to protect us. And second line of effort is that. So, yeah, I, I have no doubt that that helped. But, and I reckon, but it was more than that, right, because it was your mindset. It was getting back into your discipline, getting back into your training, feeling a sense of success again, setting those future goals, and they're all gelling together, aren't they? And you're feeling confident again. You're, you're back, hey, this is my life. I'm in control again. And then it's oozing out of you, and, you know, you attract a good woman. Um, makes sense to me, mate, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that's what I found um, – the control it was it was understanding when I got those trigger points again and how to deal with them. But the understanding what I can control and what I can't control, and I've now realised that well, the stuff I can't control, why, why should, I shouldn't even have to worry about it because it, it's, I'm not going to change that anyway. No, and and, yeah. and you know, it, it seems to um, to work. And and, and yeah, you know, the things I could change and control was obviously getting back into training and fitness which helped me with obviously physically and your mental health. And then that was attracting a, a relationship, which was then a positive thing as well. So, you know, with those two combined, it was really, that's all I really needed. I don't really need anything else. I mean, you've got a couple of, you know, you have some close mates and things as well. But outside of that, it, it, the rest didn't matter. Yeah, no, mate. And it, it makes total sense, doesn't it, work? But I'm going to say again, because we're summarising heaps here, and I'm doing it off the cuff with you, but I, I actually reckon an important part of this too is that you had a history of success, Hoppo. And I always say that to people. You are able to bounce back because you have been a successful guy, you know, in your career, um, in life-saving. Um, you know what it takes, you know, discipline, hard work, self-belief. And I guess you don't those successes so they were there in the bank as well and so I think you had some of that to lean lean on if that makes sense once you took time out and did all this good stuff because you know it's if there are some of your listeners are young people and they haven't had that yet they might actually find the bouncing back a little bit harder than you found it um, and it could be helpful they reach out to a professional if that makes mm. sense mate yeah and I think that's one reason I wanted to do this is because as you said, yeah, I'm lucky enough. Plus, I'm older now. I'm in my 50s, so I've had a bit of life experience as well. So, but I think everyone's going to go through these tough times. So that's yeah, something yeah. I want to get out there. And yes, I'm lucky that I have been successful, so I know how to get back to there. But I worry about people out there that haven't had that success, and. It's a battle, and you and I know how they feel now because I was in that. Even though it was only a short period of my life, yeah. Sometimes you think I'm never going to get out of this. You can't see a way out. No, hundred percent, mate. And again, you know, I go back to the science of it. That your brain's releasing these chemicals, hormones, you know, into your blood, and it's an evolutionary protective mechanism. You know, humans, our species. You know, number one job is survival. Number two, reproduce. You know. You're struggling, work, personal life, um, and your brain's like, hey, Hoppo, the world's dangerous out there, mate. Keep your head down. So, you know, your brain's releasing these chemicals that make you feel depressed so you don't go outside and do anything that <laughs> makes you worse. To be honest, its intent is to protect you, right? That's the way I look at depression or in what, how you're describing your experience, but it actually is unhelpful because it stops you connecting with the world. Humans as a species, you know, we need others, and without a doubt, mate. And the other point you made there, mate, I can't agree with you more, you know. Who doesn't have a hard – I said, you know, who doesn't fail in life? 
normal, actually, strong as people learn from it. And who doesn't have a hard time? I've forgotten his name, mate, but, you know, I did listen to your prior podcast, The Photographer. My apologies to him, forgetting his name. What's his name? Oh, Jason McCormick. Yeah, yeah, Jason. Yeah. Well, he talked about, you know, what I would call his grieving over his father passing away and, you know, the complexity of doing the CPR. When I listened to that, I thought, you know, what an amazing guy talking about this for a start. And then the other part of me is like, yeah, who wouldn't find that hard, <laughs> no matter yeah. who you were? And I think he, you know, talked about that in that way. You know, great guest, mate. Um, trying to destigmatize some of this stuff. We all have challenges in life, and sometimes we come out of them pretty easy. Sometimes we come unstuck. We need coping mechanisms to help us get out of them. But there's nothing wrong with having a hard time. I guess it's what you do about it. And if you don't know what to do, then reach out. Get some help. Yeah, I think it's great advice. And anyone listening out there, it's reach out, get help, mm. uh, and talk about it. I think that's why I wanted to do this and, and get it out there that we need to speak about, you know, and we're not a failure because we have, you know, we fail in certain things in our in our life, in our day. But that's not, you know, that's, as you said, normal. So we're all going to fail at some stage. And I think that should be a better education for young people coming through and I I really think it should be a subject in school that look you'll go through life and you'll you'll you know you won't get a job you're going for you'll lose a job your your marriage mightn't work your relationship you, you know all this stuff is normal but you don't get taught that or prepared yeah. at a younger age see it's a great idea mate mate when you say that I think of you know if you're not failing if you've never failed at anything then you're really not reaching your potential you're not taking any risks. You're not pushing yourself, right? You know, and, and it's a great idea. We should normalise. You know, there are lots of high-performing people out there. You know, the Richard Bransons, the Jocko Willink. They'll talk about failure as an achievement. You know, it means they're pushing their boundaries. They're doing something they haven't done before, and it gives them, oh, I better work on this more. And you know, that you know, and no surprise that they're so famous and so successful because they're you know really resilient. They don't look at failure as a bad thing, they look at it as means I'm achieving my goals to push my boundaries and then they learn from it, which is, you know, a great mindset. Yeah, and it's like being a lifeguard. I mean, I've been there 30 years now, but, you know, people probably watch the TV show and think we're all perfect, but I've failed many times and and I found failing made me better because then I could work on it and, and become yeah. better and I think everybody needs to – Look at it that way and see it that way, right. and, yeah. and and don't be embarrassed if you you know fail. I think we're all that paranoid about failure that that people are going to think of us in a, in a different way or something like that. That you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what they think. It's it's you yourself. You know, if you're happy within yourself, you, you you'll be a lot better off. That's the only. That's the person you're responsible for, and it's actually the only person you have full responsibility over. <laughs> I agree with you, mate. Uh, yeah, it's a really good point. You know, normalising failure. Indeed, if you fail and it means you're pushing yourself, you're pushing the boundaries. I like it and I agree with it, mate. I fail all the time. <laughs> I usually tell my clients that. I'm bound to piss you off sometime in this interaction. It's not my intention. I really like my job and unless you're a real you know, you're really rude to me, I, I won't want to uh, piss you off or fail, but I'll get things wrong. And the importance will be, hopefully, in our relationship, you'll tell me and we'll work through it. And that role model is what happens in your relationships outside of the therapeutic relationship. Your friends will upset you. They will disappoint you, and you'll do the same. And hopefully, you can talk it through and stay connected and get through harder times. And I think the other big thing is try not to get that the jealousy. I think jealousy of other people is, a, is, is the real killer. It's, and, and, and this day and age, I feel for the younger Generation, because social media, people put stuff up, and everything looks fantastic, and then you you look at it and think, "Oh, my life's nowhere near that." But the people putting it up, it's it's not reality. It's not actually what that person is doing or feeling when they put it up, and it, it must be tough for a, a lot of young people out there. Mate, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's a lot of pressures, isn't it, mate? I, you know, take the piss out of me. I 
I started a little Instagram thing and I think I've got five photos on it <laughs> and I just leave it there and, you know, I'm like, nah, this isn't me. It's, you know, it is what it is, uh, but adds yeah. a lot of pressure, doesn't it? Mate, I yeah. would say to you, you know, one of the things I often say to people who've come to these conclusions and come in and see me and they're, and they're probably not feeling very happy, you know, I call their quality of life ain't great. I would say to them, well, what's important to you? You know, and, I, and I do a whole activity around it, and I've done it with the lifeguards. You know, what are your values? What really drives you when push comes to shove? What are you prepared to cut away, and what are you not? You know, when you decide that you're going to be a lifeguard, put your life in danger to save other people, um, and your reputation, and all these sorts of things, your own mental health, if it doesn't work out, could really affect you. You know, why do you do that? What are your values? And I, I think, you know, it's pretty important if you've never done that, whether you're having a hard time or not, try to know what drives you because that I often, when I get, when I'm having hard times in my life, I will often reflect and say, why am I having this hard time? And if it's because of my value, something that's important to me, it just takes the edge off. I'm like, oh, well, that's all right. It's my choice. Yeah. I'm happy to yeah. do this because I want it. Like, you know, like you said before, it's in my um, circle of influence. If it's not, if it's not related to my value, then we're like, what am I doing here? This is a bad mm. investment. So I try to live yeah. my life according to my values, and I always do values activities with my clients because I, I think it can just give a bit of that clarity as to what's important to me because we're all different and what makes me happy. Whereas if we're just relying on external, you know, likes and, and all that sort of stuff, I mean, you've really given away your control over yourself, haven't you? Your yeah. happiness is dependent on whether other people like you, which, you know, I would say, I understand how it happens, but it's a pretty risky way to live life and, and you know, I, I reckon it'd be pretty exhausting too. Yeah, it would be. And it's something that uh, someone said to me about if you take away your job title, take away an international TV show, take away everything that's that's really ins- insignificant and then look at yourself, you're still that same person. Yeah, you are. That's right. You know? yeah. So we, in society these days, we're looking at who's driving the, the uh, uh, what car you're driving, what yeah. job you got. Yeah. It's all job titles, all, you know, what house, how big's your house, where's yeah. your house. We're all worried about all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, that doesn't make that person any more happy. You could be happier than what that person is because it all comes down to take it all away you're still that person. Yeah, it, it's complex, isn't it, mate? Take it all away. You're still that person. And then I always come back to quality of life, which is where the individual values is important. Are you happy, though? You know, what actually makes you happy? I can't tell you. I've, I've had heaps of I've had heaps of clients who are multimillionaires, mate, and, you know, absolutely miserable because it's, it's almost like they've come to this revelation that, more zeros doesn't actually change a whole lot and they've devoted their whole life to it. Um, you know, they've lost their relationships. But I, I never judge people on that. For some people, for whatever reason, poverty or whatever money is really important and, and I think if that's their value, that's okay too. Yeah, it, yeah. But for me, the key one is what makes you happy and knowing it for you. But as you mentioned, all that window dressing, I often call it, uh, the luxuries and um, it's often short-term you know, it gives you short-term happiness, consumerism, buying things. There's good research done on that about what you use your money for and, and return on investment for happiness. And, and it, the research suggests that buying experiences would give you what I call better value. You will remember it. It'll mean more for a longer period of time than buying objects. You know, I, my wife and I, before we got married, did a six-month trip through India and Pakistan and we still talk about it, you know, 15 years later. That was a pretty good investment. <laughs> but I don't talk about, you know, how many cars I've bought with a 15 years later <laughs> you know, as an example. Yeah. Mate, 100%. And uh, you have been working with the, the lifeguard service with us and we've come up with the ideas. As a lot of people know, watching Bondo Rescue, we deal with a lot of body retrievals. We, do, we yeah. deal with a lot of resuscitations and a lot of drama and trauma that happens at the beach. And we've always trained ourselves physically but never mentally. So you've come in now to help all the lifeguards, you know, understand mentally and how to deal with these situations. 
Yes, mate. Yep. No, myself and Al Sparks, um, we have been doing that work, mate. You know, Al and I really respect you guys. You're frontline workers, mate. You know, uh, you're dealing with life and death. And, you know, the show doesn't show, only mainly shows the good stuff or the shortened version of it, right? You know, there's stuff that you guys deal with when people pass away, their families coming to the tower the next day or the next week and or never knowing how they went once they went off in the ambulance. That's pretty big stuff, mate. So, yep, look, Al and I have been doing work around that helping to prepare you guys, helping to understand common reactions and and educating you guys so that you can support each other through that, normalising it. And I will tell you, mate, I don't know if we're going to run out of time, but when Al first contacted me, I know you were mates with him, he said, oh, Dave, you know, you know, Hoppo from Bondi Rescue and I won't lie to you, mate, I knew your name, <laughs> but I'd never watch the show. And, <laughs> and he said, you know, they, they want to talk to you about some mental health stuff, and I thought you were the man. I'm like, sure, mate, okay, I'll come down. And then in my head, I was like, oh, these guys going to have big egos. I'd done this a long time, and I've worked with all sorts of people, and I didn't really want to have to sell. I don't have to go in there and convince you guys you need to work on this mental resilience stuff. And, mate, I, it was, I was a little bit surprised. I, I won't never lie to you at how open you guys were to this stuff. And, and I guess as I've gotten to know the team over the last few years and do lots of good work with you, I've realised that you guys are open to it because it's a reality for you. You've dealt with grief, your own grief, with um, clients' grief, with families' grief repeatedly. So the team is just amazingly open to talking about how these things can affect us, how to mitigate for the cumulative effect of your job, manage exhaustion and fatigue, stay professional, be empathic, but put boundaries on things. Yeah, mate, it's been a, a pri- privilege and a, and a pleasure. And since since you were also professional, I've watched the show a couple of times now. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, you've, you've been a great asset to the service and uh, it's helped a lot of the guys and, and girls that we have that yeah, have issues, whether it's at work or outside of work. And I think it really is putting it into perspective. And, and everyone listening out there, it doesn't matter – what level you are at, how much money you've got or or whatever it is, always reach out to someone. You know, we've reached out to you as a service to try and help us mentally and to deal with what we deal with. And I don't think that should be – anyone should be embarrassed by that or, you know, or, or, or feel weak or anything. I think yeah. it's, it's – to me, it's you're stronger. You're trying to achieve something to make yourself mate. better. Mate, I couldn't agree more, mate, you know. Humans have a brain and we have emotions and you guys, again, you're being so professional. You're like, yeah, we want to be better, you know. What, what can you give us, Dave, to be better athletes, to be better lifeguards, which is such a good way to approach it, mate. You know, it's resilience. Um, you know, often we think of mental health always being negative, but I see mental health, you know, it's a continuum. You know, there's my mental health is really good. I'm in a great mood today, Hoppo, and I'm kicking goals. And, you know, there's mental ill health on the, the right down the bottom, the really severe stuff. But it's a continuum. Mental health isn't all bad. There's lots, you know, we have good feelings as well. And, uh, you know, that's the way you guys have approached it. And, you know, that's a lot of the work I've done with the military in the past too around performance, you know, understanding your brain, your thoughts, your feelings, how it links to your behaviours so that you can manage it and improve your performance. Because if you're not understanding it and managing it, you're not tapping into a resource and it could actually be hampering your performance. So it's not weakness at all, mate. I agree. It's It just it's, makes sense. Well, mate, great chat. And I hope that that's, it, it helps a lot of people out there and with this episode. But you mentioned you didn't haven't watched uh, Bondi Rescue initially <laughs> until you met us. So, mate, what I'm going to do, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot and and uh, give you an, uh, a segment we do, Five Fun Facts. So I'm going to throw right. the questions at oh, you great. now. Oh, great. Thanks, mate. I probably deserve that. <laughs> All right. Uh, here we go. You can answer them however you like. There's no wrong or right answer. Oh, good. Okay, good. Okay. What's something your brain tries to make you do and you have to will yourself not to do it? Oh, holy cow. Now you're putting me on the spot. I'm a psychologist, mate. Studied for nine years, got a doctorate. You want me to fall on my sword and tell you my weakness? Mate, I'm going to tell you that all that study, all these years of doing this, it's got to be chocolate. My wife will buy a block of chocolate and have one piece a night, and I admire her discipline. I'll be like... Ah, oh, fuck that. I want 10. <laughs> it's just one of those things. If it's not around, it doesn't even enter my mind. I don't need it. So I like discipline with chocolate, mate. Uh, favourite childhood memory? 
favourite childhood memory, all right? I, I reckon coming into summer, thing that's on my mind is cricket, mate. Cricket in the family backyard, me and my brother, you know, getting extremely competitive. Not bounced off the fence, two hands, not out, you know. Great memories, mate. Loved it. Yeah, with my brother and my dad. Yeah. I loved doing that as well as a kid. It was great, the cricket, backyard cricket. Uh, cats or dogs and why? Ah, oh, dogs, mate. It's got to be dogs. Grew up with dogs. Yeah, just, you know, that love and affection. Never judge you, mate. <laughs> Not like the media. They're great. <laughs> What's the most interesting thing you've read or seen this week? Oh, okay. Well, I know what's on my mind, actually. Before I uh, did this with you, I was just thinking about there's a charity for veterans, and, you know, most of my work's with veterans, Swiss 8, and they've, they're doing this barbecue to remember for Remembrance Day, and the idea is you get all your mates together and have a barbecue, you know, social support, looking out for each other, having a good time. Looking after your mates doesn't have to be all serious, you know, having a good time and staying connected, especially uh, following COVID, mate. And, you know, your um, larrikin all-round top guy, member of your team there, Harry's, he's one of their ambassadors. So that's been on my mind. I was reading about it. I thought it was a great idea. Great yeah, idea. I've seen uh, he's an ambassador there and uh, does a great yeah. job for the charities. Yeah, yeah, he's a legend, mate, as a Swiss 8, legends. Mate, last question. What's the best and worst purchases you've ever made? Oh, okay. I don't know if my wife's going to listen to this. You get me in trouble. <laughs> well, let, let, let's go with hopefully the best because I, I just bought myself a brand new pair of hiking boots. And, my, oh, you know, I, I didn't come from money, so it's, it's not easy for me to spend $600 on a pair of <laughs> boots to go hiking in. And I just bought them, so fingers crossed that's going to be the best. The reflection is... When I was, I hesitated for a while because I bought this really fancy, expensive pair, leather pair, Italian ones. When I, you know, twenty years ago, when I was going backpacking, and I went on this big backpack trip for eight months, and you know, bloody wore them. I think about three times because they were heavy and hot, but I couldn't ditch them because they cost me too much money. <laughs> so I carried them for eight months and never wore them. And it was on my mind buying these new ones this week. So I think they were a pretty bad purchase. They were like three or 400 bucks 20 years ago and I never really wore them. <laughs> That's about well, it, mate. <laughs> David, mate, uh, great answers. Perfect answers. Um, if anyone out there wants to get, you know, listens to this podcast and wants to get in contact with you at all, what is there a way they can do that? Yeah, mate, I, I, I am sort of, I don't, I don't put myself out there much, but I do have a very simple website that I knocked up. Um, yeah, I think it's DS Clinical Psychology, something like that. And you could find me on there, mate. There's not much on there, but definitely, yep, happy to chat if there's anyone we can help, mate. And I do want to say, like I said, this was off the cuff today, mate. You're a champion for putting yourself out there like this, talking like this. I'm really happy to be a part of it. And hopefully, you know, the role model that you are, mate, and all the young um, guys and girls, especially in surf culture that you influence hopefully they can see no matter who you are everyone has a hard time uh, make sure you're not doing it alone reach out and we all recover don't we yeah we do it's uh, and you, you'll get through never give up you'll get through it and that's what i wanted to do we we just for listeners that i never told david any of my situation we i wanted to do it all off the cuff i wanted to get the the, the reactions from him the reactions from me from his answers from questions and answers so it's something that uh, I think's come across quite well and, and hopefully everyone can take something from it. Yeah, mate. No, you've done a great job today. Well done making yourself vulnerable, mate. Only makes you stronger, doesn't it? It does. The more you talk about it, the better you uh, you feel and move forward. So thanks for coming on, mate. Uh, joining me in the beach shack. It's uh, great to have you and uh, all the best. Yeah, you too, buddy. Catch you soon, mate. See ya. Now let's go to Beach Banner. Welcome, Reedy, into the Beach Shack, mate, for a bit of Beach Banner. It's always good to be in the Beach Shack. We're back down here in your office at Bondi. Sun's shining, <laughs> the birds are chirping, and you don't look any younger. You're chirping too. <laughs> I am always chirping. I never stop. <laughs> mate, we've just um, had New Year's Eve, and these days you've, uh, you're very, very quiet. But I was very. thinking back of the days when uh, you weren't quiet and uh, celebrated New Year's Eve like you should celebrate New Year's Eve. And uh, take me back to the, I think it was called the Shore thing. Yeah, sure thing at Bondi. Um, that's the big part of the reason why I've got a very aged and weathered face right now. <laughs> big part is the sun, but the other part is the partying. And uh, yeah, we used to 
I think oh, you were still the boss back then, and we used to um, we used to do a couple of sneaky little. Well, it wasn't really breaking the rules; it was more so bending the rules. And yeah, Bondi every year for New Year's Eve used to put on this big dance festival, and basically it would take over the whole of Bondi, all the grass area behind the tower. Um, they would set the stage action. Up actually on the beach, and the stage would be built up to so it was in line with the with the grass area, and the the bands would play out to the grass where where um, everyone would be partying, and mm. that that whole area actually was our workspace. Our we, our change rooms were in the pavilion, and that's where they used to have all the the setup inside there, and the security yeah. would set up. So so come New Year's Eve, everyone would want to work because. What we would do is, and, and, and I hope I'm not going to get in trouble for this because it was back in the day, um, I think we've got five years. You get five years. It's like your license points on your license. Yeah, you that's get, right. It's a, they delete after that. Yeah, so after yeah, five yeah. years, you're sweet. So so what we would do is if you were working New Year's Eve and even if you weren't working, you'd just go to Bronnie and Tamar. And for some reason, we'd have to launch the jet ski at about yeah, – Five to seven. <laughs> about, no, five, you needed a bit of time to get over and then get back. We'd launch the jet ski about six and you'd do a patrol for sharks to make sure yeah, there was yeah, no yeah, sharks yeah. there in case people decided yeah. to go swimming. Yeah. Rockfish. You gotta make sure the rock fishermen are okay. Yeah, well, make know. sure they're all good at about about six thirty, and then at, at six six thirty five, you get a call from Bronte saying the lifeguards needed a lift back over to Bondi. So you'd go over and you'd pick the boys up because obviously the the whole of Bondi was fenced with security. Yeah. You could not get in there. We were the only ones inside at that time. The beach got cleared. I remember it was such a sight to see the security guards slowly sweep the beach and kick everyone off Bondi Beach. Yeah. I mean, you probably haven't seen that since the war, yeah. and which you would remember. You were I remember only, that, and then I really. <laughs> Enacted it for the uh, for COVID. I reenacted it to clear the beach. The you know? war. Yeah. You knew exactly what you were doing. <laughs> I've still uh, got the helmet on. <laughs> and um, and yeah, so we would pick the lifeguards up from Bronte and Tamara, and it'd be that funny. It'd, it'd be knockoff time in the tower at seven o'clock, and we'd all be walking across the road to the pavilion. But I think the security guards would look at us and think, "Geez, I wonder why there's." 25 lifeguards <laughs> coming out of that tower. Anyway, we'd go into our change rooms and we'd have extra long showers and. Just by chance, when we would leave work for the day at 8.30, the dance party was happening and we actually couldn't leave because it was all fenced off. So we thought, hey, we might stay. Might as well stay. (laughs) Might as well stay. So, um, so yeah, we stayed and we partied and we did that for probably, oh, I mean, the sure thing went for five, six, seven years maybe. We probably got a good five, six years out of it. Yeah, it was great times. Yeah, it was good fun. And um, And we had to make sure the crowd were okay, you know, the next morning when they're coming down, you know, that they're all safe and sound and not wanting to jump in the water. It's our beach and we're very protective (laughs) of our patrons and we want to make sure they're all nice and safe. So, yeah, we thought very important for us to stay all the way till midnight share the fireworks with them down there. And you know what? Even if we kicked on till three, at least we were ready to go at six. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Good times. Oh, great times, mate. Great memories. Great to have you in and uh, I'll catch up with you soon. Can't wait. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.